1974, when Englishman Michael Taylor, a husband and father of five, met 21-year-old pastor Marie Robinson, his frequent bouts of depression seemed to ease. In part, Taylor believed it was due to Robinson's ability to exorcise the demons that were plaguing him. But then, Taylor's wife confronted him with the fact that she'd had an affair with the pastor. Her husband then physically attacked her. This led to an actual exorcism by two ministers that took place on October 5, 1974. Michael had seizures, spit at and bit the exorcists, and screamed in tongues. The next day, he brutally murdered his wife. But he wasn't convicted because of the defense's argument that the exorcism had made him insane. lovely folks out there in the hinterlands happy halloween and all that jazz and as usual it's your boys rock and max and we're going to be your guides as we pour through dusty tomes in search of the supernatural here at nightmares and daydreams y'all welcome everyone sounds like this is going to be an exciting one i believe you're right max you ain't lying but gang as is our want before we delve into the lore and the fun we'd like to remind you fine folks out there in the hinterlands to please like subscribe review and continue granting us the boon of the sacred and mythological five-star review on whatever podcatcher you listen to. Please do, gang. We need your help to spread the stories and, not to mention, keep the lights on. Being able to see is helpful. And guys and gals, we ask every week because it's so damn important. So if you haven't and you like what we're doing, please take that quick second and give us that five-star rating and pound out a few nice words for us. It means a lot. All right, people. As you know, Rock and I are going to discuss and debate all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. And don't forget fun. You know, man, we love fun, Max. You are the most fun dudes in this room. We're actually not in the same room anymore, gang, because y'all know I'm in Arizona. Max is in Texas, so we're doing this distant-wise. But we still love each other, really. Like, best friends. Max, right? Yeah. Definitely. Less than before, but still pretty much. Yeah, I mean, you know, now I don't have to deal with you personally, so I can kind of let some of the animosity come out. And this is, <laughs> this is a month for that. <laughs> All right, Max. As we said, we love fun, but dude, that first story, like that first story. Yeah, it's craziness. That guy must have had a really good attorney. That's what I'm talking about. Or is it Barrister in Jolly Old England? I got to watch Bridget Jones' Diary again, because, you know. You know, watching Bridget Jones' Diary is... Pretty much all they study in law school over there, I think. You know, that's. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, this dude, he went insane, in my estimation, because his wife cheated on him. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, and I think that is more or less what the verdict seems to be indicating, insofar as, you know, saying, well, this guy had an exorcism because he was supposedly demon possessed. And. When I say supposedly, I don't mean that I don't believe it, but just yeah, of course. in legal terms, you know, this guy allegedly was demon-possessed. 
He got an exorcism, which is evidence of that at some level. Mm -hmm. And basically insanity by demon. I don't know. I don't know, but I think it hit super close to him. It was like the double whammy, like his wife had an affair with the pastor. Yeah. Let's go, man. That's not the kind of uh, leadership the pastor's supposed to be bringing home right there. (laughs) That's why a lot of people don't like the church. (laughs) (laughs) That's the wrong kind of counseling. Just make sure if you go to a psychologist after that, he's not a hot psychologist because you never know. Exactly. (laughs) Because there's like a couch right there waiting. Like, that's not good, y'all. All All right. So, (laughs) like... Do you think he was really possessed? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, this is what it is. It's hard to say. Like, the mid-70s wasn't that far along. I mean, that far back, right? And, uh... And I know things have changed. Like, when you go hundreds of years ago, possessions, it was... You know, a lot of people think that they could perhaps have been sort of mental conditions and whatnot. But like 1974, whenever this occurred, that was not that long ago. So, yeah, you know, you'd figure they'd be a little more enlightened. I'm not sure, man. Here's the thing to me is I find it unlikely that he created this whole situation up on the chance that it would get him off in court because that doesn't seem like a very likely proposition. That is true. You know, it t- it happened to work, but mm-hmm. surely that wasn't the best, you know, if he wanted to off his wife, I doubt that's what, you know, the plan he would prepare for in advance. Well, that's true. You know, that's it's not the best legal defense you can have out there, you know, whether it's true or not. So that does, you know, offer a ring of truth right there. I mean, he might have just been crazy, man. Moving on past that, you know, y'all, we'd be really remiss if we didn't talk about The Exorcist, the movie. Yeah. It is terrifying as a as a kid. No, it was. So that movie came out in 73. And I recall not seeing it because I was born in 73. <laughs> so as were you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My older siblings saw it. And well, my... I was I was older than you, so I went and saw it. But yeah, you were a good like four months. You were, you already had your own apartment. You were watching <laughs> The Exorcist at the drive-in. But no, dude, like the story in my family is that of course everybody went to see it. Like my mom and my dad and my siblings. Yeah, let's pile in the car and go see a movie about demon possession. It's not going to mess up your sleep. So, like literally, my older brother couldn't sleep for like six months after seeing this movie. And well, uh, yeah, that apparently wasn't unusual. Gang, when this movie dropped, it like messed up a lot of people. Like it was a thing. And as we know, the uh, it's based on a novel that was written in 1971 by William Peter Blatty. And the writer, he heard about the story that inspired his novel when he was a student at Georgetown. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was based on a real story, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't 100% know the, the whole story, but it was my understanding that it was at least based on or inspired by a real historical event. Yeah, so according to the lore, uh, it was inspired by a 1949 case that involved a boy instead of a girl. In his book, in the novel, uh, the protagonist was a girl. But in the 1949 case, it was a boy known as Roland Doe, or to be found out, Robbie Mannheim. And this kid was really close to his aunt, who was kind of a spiritualist. She was into the occult. She kind of introduced him to the Ouija board and stuff like that. Okay. So she passed away. And not long after that, like strange stuff started to happen around this kid, you know, like just yeah, like in the movie, but maybe a few steps down. 
And uh, there are also some events that happened in real life that Blatty didn't put in the novel because it was like, he was like, wow, that's just too crazy, right? So, yeah, that's all, that's sometimes the case, right? That you know, you you hear the real story, and in some ways, it's more outrageous or more incredible. I guess is maybe a better word. Yeah, than what they actually put in the script because they just it seems too outlandish. People watch it in a movie and think, oh, this is absurd, but that's what really happened. Yeah, well, know? that's why we say truth is stranger than fiction, right? You know, he's like, no one's going to believe Absolutely. that. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty hardcore case, guys. I would advise if you're interested, looking it up. But uh, yeah, like they went to the Lutheran church first because that's where the family was a member of. They didn't get any help there. They went to the Catholic church. Catholic church okayed the exorcism, sent a priest there. He was immediately like flipped out and just like left. They got some Jesuits involved, these two old school Jesuit priests, and those were the ones that kind of- They know the real stuff, yeah. Went to battle, yeah. And uh, it is, uh, it's an amazing story, man. And it's super unsettling. Yeah. I didn't see it till I was older, and yeah, it was scary as hell. You know, you got all the effects and whatnot, but the effects were that movie back in the day where like Linda Blair, like crab walking down the stairs and the whole, oh dude, that was creepy as hell, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Max, do you think it holds up now compared to all the slate of, quote, modern horror movies? So I haven't seen it in a minute, but compared to some other movies from back in the day, like Poltergeist, I think it holds up way better, if I'm being honest. It holds up better than Poltergeist, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, Poltergeist, eh, you know, that isn't that great of a movie, in my opinion. It's a classic from the time. At the time... It was a new thing. It was it was great, but I think The Exorcist holds up way better. In some ways, weirdly or maybe not weirdly, seems more relevant in a certain way. I don't know. I don't know what I even mean by that. But um, well, you know, personally, I think it it hits closer to home. It preys on the primal fears that you know a lot of people have, like good and evil. Yeah. And Poltergeist was effects-driven as well. You know, we know Poltergeist is German for noisy ghost. And it went beyond that. The movie has a lot of crazy effects and, you know, the swimming pool and the skeletons coming up and that weird little, that little person, lady that was super creepy. And, uh... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like, I think as far as, you know, we're not comparing the two movies, but talking about modern movies, like, I really haven't seen the exorcism of, uh... Emily Rose or something like that. I've never. I don't watch. Yeah, I haven't watched that those either. type of movies. But I got to say, I still feel like they're riding the coattails of the OG Exorcist from back in '73 because that is still a pretty unsettling flick. I've said it. That's my review, gang. It's short and sweet. Like, you want to be scared? <laughs> yeah. You haven't done a review in a minute, so go and check it out. That was long overdue. That's the only one that Max will let me do. Just a short one, like 30 seconds, because <laughs> he says I mess up the flow, y'all. It's actually relevant to the. Podcast. It's germane to the podcast. Speaking of reviews, though, uh, have you watched any more of Rings of Power? Or did you even start Rings of Power? I can't remember. I did. I did. I watched the first couple of episodes, and I hate it because I'm a big, <laughs> I'm a yeah. big Tolkien nerd. Gang, like back in the day, like in the late '80s, '90s, when I got into Tolkien, you know, I got really into it, and like I read the Silmarillion, and this was before. 
you know, the web and all that kind of stuff. And you, when you read the Silmarillion back in the day, you were into Tolkien. You're like, oh my God, he read the Silmarillion. Yeah. It's a different thing. So, uh, yeah, I like to watch all this stuff. And, you know, I will admit that the show is beautiful. They did a really good job on it, right? Well, they definitely had money. You know, they had a budget for special effects. and It's just like the Wheel of Time, Max. I couldn't get into it. I've read the source material too much. And, uh, you know, I can't suspend my disbelief. I'm, You know, I disbelieve that they made such a crappy product. But it's out there. And what do I know, man? A lot of people love it. And I'm not raining on their parade. It's just not for me. So I just, you know, take my streaming elsewhere. I watched, I think, the first three or four episodes. I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. I haven't watched any more. I haven't totally sworn it off. Can't say I'm at the edge of my seat ready to watch the next episode or anything. I I think I kind of just lost interest for a, a bit. Well, I think the thing, too, is that it's quite polarizing, right? People either love it, they get behind it, or they don't like it. Yeah. You seem to me like you're one of those people that are kind of in the middle. You're like, eh, it's not the worst, but it's not the best, and it's a good way to pass time. Well, because it's like I want to like it a lot, but... Well, of course you do. I'm not feeling it. It doesn't... There's not an authenticity there that... It doesn't ring true. You know, people can criticize Peter Jackson's version of Lord of the Rings. Those people are stupid. Let's discard The Hobbit entirely because we all, everybody agrees that that was garbage. But no, The Hobbit sucks. But the three films? But Lord of the Rings, you know, there are obviously differences from the books. There have to be, it's a different art form. You can accommodate a certain amount of variation or cutting or. But the execution is different. Yeah. Those movies are masterpieces. They won Oscars. Mic drop. Christopher Token at least as far as I understand, didn't like the... Oh, dude, he hates everything. Yeah, no, well, the the Tolkien estate in general... He hates everything that's ever been done. Tolkien himself, I think, hated the Bakshi versions, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, well, those are pretty bad. (laughs) But, hey... (laughs) Yeah, that's true, but... The good thing about the Bakshi versions, gang, if y'all don't know... At the time, you got to admit you loved them as a kid, though. uh, Yeah, we did love those as a kid, but the best thing about the Bakshi versions is that those helped Star Wars get made. Is that right? You know, George Lucas was making Star Wars at the same time that Ralph Bakshi was making his Lord of the Rings, and Bakshi scooted some money over to Lucas. Like, that's a thing. So that's the best thing about those. Oh, okay. That's some hashtag nerd lore right there. So what are you watching? Anything? Uh, Dude, I'm not watching a whole lot right now. No? Waiting for Witcher? I'm watching football. Yeah. It's like football season. So, like, that's what I'm watching right now. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I'm not watching anything either. Well, MLS playoffs. Waiting for The Witcher to gonna come out. And uh, I've watched The Sandman like three or four times over. I think it's flawless. I love it so much. But other than that, yeah, just kind of delving into some fall sports right there. Awesome. How about we hear another story? I got just the one, y'all. In 1990, Reverend James Labar oversaw three exorcisms all sanctioned by the Archbishop of New York, Cardinal John O'Connor, and the Vatican. One of them, the exorcism of a Florida teenager named Gina, was televised on the ABC network in 1991. Now, Newsweek described the ceremony, which was accompanied by medieval-style music as little more than gratuitous torment of a deeply disturbed young girl. 
Strapped to a chair, she screamed and barked unintelligibly while the reverend pressed a cross into her face and told her supposed demons that if they wanted pain, he'd give it to them. Meaning, of course, the helpless Gina. Ultimately, it was said to be an antipsychotic drug that gave Gina relief. You know what? I vaguely remember that being on TV, though I don't think I watched the whole thing. Did you watch it? Do you remember watching Dude, it? I recall this vaguely, like hearing about it. But yeah. y'all know how it was back in the day, like in the 90s, 80s. If you missed a show, then you might have yeah, missed it forever. It so, <laughs> yeah. no, I never saw it. So, you know, again, we spoke about this earlier. Do you think she was really possessed or mentally ill? You know, and how often is mental illness confused with possession, man? Like, that's a, that's a thing. That's a question. Yeah. That's a legitimate question, no doubt. And we don't and have the answers for it. <laughs> obviously, I can't speak to, you know any individual specific instance but it it definitely seems like it undoubtedly there are instances where one or the other could be conflated or or confused with each other there's definitely crossover i don't think there's yeah definitely it actually reminds me of a case you know researching for this particular episode that I read about in the American Journal of Psychiatry. Well, we'll look at Max. You're right that you're studying <laughs> to be a psychologist now. Reckon you can yeah, start editing you know. books on psych in your vast library of medieval tomes and whatnot. Hashtag always learning. It was in preparation for this episode. I just stumbled across the story. Okay, gang, check it out. There was a 25-year-old married mother of three living in Karachi in Pakistan. A homemaker with a high school education, lower middle socioeconomic status. She was brought into a clinic because of bizarre behavior. The illness, quote unquote, started 25 days earlier and she had increasing anger, agitation, anxiety, loss of sleep. She was seen by a local physician and received a prescription. And after a few days, she started talking and pacing excessively, making calls to family members to ask for forgiveness, sending, spending a lot of time praying and having frequent panic attacks. But she also claimed to be hearing the voices of Jin and she could feel their presence in the room. And she got confused several times a day. She lost awareness of her surroundings, like clouded consciousness, spoke gibberish, you know, wasn't in any particular language, sometimes with an affected voice change, you know, like she might sound like she had a masculine voice, for example. Um, she also claimed to even see Jin sometimes and Obviously, she wasn't able to take care of her children or do any household chores. So the patient's family reported um, that she had had a similar episode after the birth of her third child, which was like a year before. And they believed that she had been possessed and she was treated for gin possession by an amil, which is 
an Islamic spiritual healer, as far as I understand it, who gave her Mm -hmm. a special armband to wear and some holy water to drink. And supposedly the patient's family history also had instances of bipolar disorder. And then, but when the doctors interviewed her, she simply said, I'm possessed by a jinn. I don't need any medication. And the family and the patient both declined to admit her into a psychiatric facility or to do any further workup because they just absolutely believed that she was possessed by a jinn, a jinn, or multiple genie. We don't really know the ultimate end of the story because they never got medical treatment. They presumably got spiritual treatment, but you know whether that worked or not, we unfortunately have no record. I don't know. What do you think? On one hand, it's impressive because the family were unwilling to bend it all. They're like, hey, she's not crazy. She's possessed. Yeah. She said the same thing. And you can be gaslit into that, man. If you're, you know, even though if there's a history of mental illness in your family, if that's what they're right. saying, like it's not us. These are external influences that are affecting our behavior. Sometimes that's easier to deal with and having the stigma of, you know, mental illness. I'm not sure, but dude, you know, so at least as far as we know, there weren't any explicitly supernatural phenomena occurring around this person, right? Like no floating chairs, aversions to holy things, spider climbing on the walls, right? As far as we know, yeah. So that's a good point, I think. And I mean, she had a history of mental order disorders within the family, but mm. you know, is it a history of mental disorders or is it a history of gin haunting? That's you know? that's true. Know. And you know, also I'm playing the part of Maxi here, but maybe there could be a degree of some sort of postpartum depression, you know, after that previous child, because yeah. that's a thing, you 100%. know. Yeah, that you know, it seems to line up well with what we understand to be postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, whether the timing is coincidence or whatever, um, true, we true. don't know, obviously, but, and, you know, we just want to be clear, folks, we don't want to make any definitive diagnoses, obviously, or claims regarding a case like this, but we just find it fascinating to talk about, and there's definitely overlap between the two yep. conditions, for lack of a better word. Yep. And for sure, man, like, listen to your doctors, people, but, you know, like, yeah. don't listen to us, we're just podcasts. The only thing we know <laughs> exactly. is that... We know nothing. What about your Amiel? Hmm. I don't have one personally, but it sure sounds like a curandero or something, right? Or an abulario. Yeah. If we're talking about Filipino folklore, which, uh, shifting gears, you'd love me some Filipino folklore. We got to get back on that, man. <laughs> we know you do. But yeah, it does sound like a curandero. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as far as we can tell. But, you know, Max, far be it for me to disregard the advice of a spiritual advisor's or of whatever religious tradition we are talking about. Ultimately yeah. though, try to get the best advice you can available from experts and just, you know, try to make some good decisions. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's tough. Like we say in this thing, there are a lot of overlapping. It's like that Venn diagram of this, this, and then that middle part. I mean, it's hard to call in some instances, I think, just like you're saying. We were just talking about gin. Yeah. So there's a lot of different, I guess, entities out there. It's not just demons, there's gin. There's a lot of other things, you know, that could potentially Foxes. Possess people, sure. Foxes, which we will talk about later. <laughs> so, uh, Max, I heard you talking about this movie or this show. It's 
it's called Evil and it's on Paramount Plus. Yeah, yeah. So So like what's up with that? I've never seen it. I've never seen it. So I know you were talking about it before the show. It's uh definitely I don't even know if I'd call it a guilty pleasure. I mean, it's definitely a silly show. Mm-hmm. I think it's meant to be to some degree to be so funny is it, is it and kind of silly like cheek. on purpose or is it just kind of like kitschy and cheesy to where it's funny? Is it like haha funny or like man, these guys are, you know. Well, it's it's not meant to be like laugh out loud kind of funny. It's not meant to be a comedic show in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be presented as real is my understanding, but it's also kitschy in a certain way. I, I think it's tongue in cheek kind of to some degree. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Basically the premise is that there's this Catholic seminarian played by Mike Coulter, uh, who people may know as Luke Cage from, you know, his own show on Netflix or from the like Jessica Jones show. Yeah. yeah. So he plays the seminarian and he has a team of people and they basically, and this is a real thing that if people report alleged possessions, you know, the Catholic church, as I understand it, will investigate them before you get an exorcism or anything. The Catholic church, I think is very careful to make sure that it's on the up and up and that definitely has to be approved possession. You know? There's actually something supernatural going on. It's not just, Oh, we'll exercise any person, place, or thing that comes in our path. They're very careful about evaluating each situation. So he has a team and he has a forensic psychologist played by Katia Herbers from Westworld and Manhattan. And then he has like a technology contractor guy who, you know, is always checking like the electromagnetic stuff and see if like that's like his cue on bond just his guy that's gonna give him all the stuff the tech well he doesn't like provide them technology but he's using technology to like uh like he's the science guy basically he's making sure that there's not you know cgi stuff or electromagnetic stuff yeah so he's like debunking stuff basically exactly a hundred percent and that's he's played by Asif Manvi, who who has been on The Daily Show as mm-hmm. one of their correspondents or whatever. Very cool. So they go around and they investigate supernatural stuff. And there's this other psychologist who is working with the demonic forces or whatever. So I got it. So there's the two sides right there. At least ostensibly, you know, no no spoiler alerts, but. Uh, or no spoilers, rather. Uh, he supposedly is on the evil side, so got to have two sides. Uh, he's the he's the uh, the villain in the piece. Yeah. So, question: How how long has this been on? Has it been on like several seasons, or is it newish? Two seasons, I believe. I think I think that's hmm. right. And it's on Paramount Plus. I don't know if it's on CBS. I think it originally started on CBS, but it might only be on Paramount Plus now. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think we have that because the wife, the former bard of our show, who's still barding on our show, she's still helping me out with a lot of the editing. Uh, Teresa, she loves that Picard show. I mean, she loves Star oh, Trek. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, if you if you want Star Trek, you got to have Paramount Plus. Yeah, yeah, so she's on that. All right, Max, uh, so check it out. I got this story on gin possession. Let me get into it, huh?
At my boarding school, we had a few cases of bullying. In one instance, a bully broke a chain on a student's neck. Now, as soon as that happened, the girl started to speak in a male voice while her body contorted in strange positions. It is said it was a djinn and had traveled from a faraway place. Meanwhile, the bully's tongue swelled and almost prevented her from breathing. Long story short, teachers were called into the room. Apparently, her parents knew and had gotten the chain for their daughter from a shaman to hold the djinn in place. Submitted by Temi Topi L on Facebook. Dude, so what happened? Was mm. she all right? We need more of the story, I think. Yeah. I don't think teachers are the right experts for this specific situation. <laughs> Did they just put the necklace back on or what? I don't know, man, but I agree. We need to know what happened because uh, Timmy Toby left us hanging. So if you're listening yeah. right back and let us know how the situation was resolved, please, because that's an interesting story and we'd like the end of it or if it's ongoing. I like that we're discussing possession by beings other than demons. I will just say, as we were talking about before, yeah. Jinn, foxes, gods, mm-hmm. who knows what else have been described throughout history and in legends, lore, folklore, around the world as possessing humans. Yeah. Either they really, really like our bodies or we're just super easy to take over. <laughs> you know, probably... We have, we have the best bodies. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of us, not not me personally, for sure. Ditto, man. So, uh, yeah, like you are a classical studies guy, man. Like, do you know anything about different possessions as far as ancient Greece or anything like that? Well, you know, there's, of course, scientists now would say that it was volcanic gases and causing inebriation or people being high or whatever. But, you know, it was the belief back in the time, the Delphic Oracle, which was, I guess, the most famous oracle maybe in history, Mm -hmm. uh, that many, even kings and great people, Alexander the Great himself, for example, you know, they would go to Delphi and get advice, you know, be told advice from the the oracles at Delphi. And it was believed that... Well, we all saw 300. It was believed that those people were being possessed by Apollo or... Gods, right? Like we were just talking about. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so they're thinking that at these places, these sacred places, that it was volcanic gases that kind of got people, quote unquote, high or in, you know, the right mind to be influenced by that? Well, I think that's one theory currently. I'm not sure. Obviously, there must be a fault line there or they wouldn't be theorizing that. But more likely that the gods were just taking over these people. I think there was some intimation of that on the the 300 show. Yeah, exactly. Like it showed the vapors coming up and stuff. Which was a stylized version of it. It was very, very, very cool. It looked cool. We talked about foxes earlier, so... Yeah. According to the fox lore, kitsune suke, that's the term for being possessed by a fox. And folklore's Lafcadio Hearn... Oh, yeah. He said this about it. Strange is the madness of those into whom demon foxes enter. Sometimes they run naked, shouting through the streets. Sometimes they lie down and froth at the mouth and yelp as a fox yelps. And on some part of the body of the possessed, a moving lump appears under the skin which seems to have a life of its own. Prick it with a needle and it glides instantly to another place. 
By no grasp can it be so tightly compressed by a strong hand that it will not slip from under the fingers. Possessed folk are also said to speak and write languages of which they were totally ignorant prior to possession. They only eat what foxes are believed to like, tofu, aborage, asukumeshi, etc. And they eat a great deal, alleging that not they, but the possessing foxes are hungry. And so exorcists for foxes, Max, are usually performed at a shrine. And if the exorcism, you know, fails or if there's no priest available at the time, sometimes the victims are beaten or burned in hopes of driving out the fox spirits. The whole family of someone who was thought to be possessed by a fox could be ostracized by the community. So it was important for the family for this person to get treatment. It was also said that like, if the victim was freed of fox possession, like that for the rest of their life, they could not eat the foods that they ate while they were possessed. So that sucks, man. If like your favorite food was tofu or anything like that, yeah. you got possessed and uh, you know, you're like all of a sudden you could not stomach it. That's a tough situation. So was it believed that they couldn't eat those foods again because it might put them at risk of possession again or they just couldn't physically? Yeah, I just think they couldn't physically stomach the food that they had, wow. you know? Which yeah. sucks because if, you know, the fox, are, they're drinking sake, having sushi, getting all the good stuff that yeah. you like and all Some of a fried sudden. Fried chicken, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like the worst <laughs> part of it, man. Yeah, for sure. Because I think foxes would like a lot of the foods that I like. Of course, man. Well, gang, if there's someone that's more foxy in this pod, it's definitely Max. He has a, a soft spot for those little tricksters. <laughs> so uh, why don't we get back to a more traditional demon possession story, huh? Yeah, let's do it. I got something. All right, my man. Let's hear it. In the year 1594... The devil was possessing people in Spandau, Germany, and made them utter strange words. It was said that he had scattered money, wreaths, needles, buttons, knives, rings, ribbons, and other things, and whoever picked them up would become possessed by the devil. He showed himself in all sorts of guises and did all sorts of strange things. For this reason, nobody wanted to walk in the streets in the evenings out of fear that they might become possessed. The victims stated that they frequently felt a cold wind blowing at them. This wind writhed like a snake until it reached the hearts. Then they instantly were bereft of their senses so that they would not know what they said and did. Among the possessed, those who were affected in the strongest ways were Gabriel Kummer, a Bohemian hatter, Andreas Reicha, a smith of horseshoes and arms, and a maid named Katarina Richtern. Beyond these, 30 further people were mentioned by name. These were both adult men and women, as well as boys and young girls. The older people also reported angelic apparitions. These all reported that an angel admonished them to go to the inspector magister, Albert Colerus, and ask him to admonish his audience in turn with all due seriousness and earnestness to be better in their ways. In particular, they should abstain from their usual behaviors and fancy dress, from gluttony and excessive drinking. Otherwise, terrible judgments would fall upon them. In particular, the Hatter distinguished himself by the apparitions and visions of the angel Gabriel, he reported. 
he heard a voice in the evening, and it called to him that he should open the church, ring the storm bell, and shout in the streets, Repent or woe, woe to you, woe to myself. After he had been forbidden and prevented from opening the church and ringing the bells, he incited the people of the town to such an uproar that those ran around the streets in great fear and dread for hours. The next day he professed that he himself had been in great fear and trepidation while he shouted. These possessed people were led to the church daily and communal prayers were said for them. It is said that the Spandau custom of ringing the bells at certain hours to this day derives from the incident. In the following year, such communal prayers occurred in the whole country as it was ordered by the authorities to pray against the Turks. Count Rochus Su Linar wrote a letter concerning this incident to Prince Joachim Friedrich on November 29, 1594. Finally, however, these infernal depredations, which lasted from September until December of 1594, ended in the face of the ongoing God-blessed activities. The distinguished theologians of Berlin and Frankfurt also traveled to Spandau in order to investigate the incident, and they came to the conclusion that this was truly a devilish possession, which they elaborated on in their theological writings. Submitted by J. Huber. sure they were sure that it was devilish possessions you know but this brings up yeah, a whole another like... topic though maxi what's that like cursed objects right oh dude topic for another day we've talked about that before that is definitely going to be a pod for another day but you know hey man since we touched on it let's just do a little quick laundry list of uh cursed objects okay. dude. like the first thing that comes to mind for me and again we're getting gang this is going to be a, a full pod but robert the doll oh yeah yeah Dude, that is freaky. I think there was a lore episode on that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it is a crazy thing. So like that's kind of a famous one. Robert the Doll, the Hope Diamond. Yeah, that's definitely said to be cursed, not possessed. I don't think. Is am I wrong about that? I think but so. I think yeah. It definitely has a curse upon it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, another famous curse is like the curse of King Tut, right? Like Tut's tomb. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Gang, that's just a little taste. It's a little taste of what we're going to talk about soon, because that the cursed folks. I'm just cursed object's going to be a good one. Everybody who went into Tut's tomb is dead. Yeah. Now. So, of course, that was a hundred years ago, but <laughs> <laughs> that's beside the point. Very close, very close to something like that. And I think there was some warning, like death will come on swift wings for those who disturb the peace of the king, something like that, which was a great rhyme. And it was totally true. Death so, will, in fact, come for you. I, I'm just saying. Exactly. You got any more stories? That's why we're here, player. But I got a good one from uh, from France. You want to hear it? Oh, mais oui. Tu sais que je veux entendre ça or something. Yeah, very nice, Max. We all know you're a citizen of the world. <laughs> now escuchame, bro. Listen to this one.
Published in 1623, this Histoire Veritable, or true story, recounts the possession and various exorcisms of Denise de la Caille, a widowed weaver from Beauvais. The story is told as an eyewitness account made by the court's clerk over the course of 18 weeks, wherein public and private exorcisms were performed by a Dominican priest, Father Loren Lepo. The possessed de la Caille was covered in lice, immobile, nearly blind, and unable to eat or drink. In addition, she was prone to violence, hallucinated frequently, and would speak in tongues. The records also describe her several times in the act of levitation. The exorcisms began on August 1st with Father Lepo summoning the evil spirits through a series of conjurations. Medieval and early modern writers would use the words exorcism and conjuration interchangeably, in that they both involved the commanding of the evil spirit by invoking the name of God. Once the demon had been conjured and commanded to speak, the tasks of the exorcist was to discover his identity. In the case of Denise de la Caille, more than 40 demons have been conjured and named, including the most prevalent demon, Beelzebub. The next step was to expel or exorcise the demons from the human body. Though the purpose of this act was to heal the victim of possession, it often only aggravated the symptoms further, causing more suffering. Due to the complexity of the interrogation and expulsion process, the exorcism would continue for weeks. But if nothing else was gained from the process of Madame de la Caille's exorcism, one demon who called himself Bifont and claimed to be the provost of Dis and commander of a legion of devils was exorcised from the woman in 1623. He was made to ride out, according to the accounts of the ceremony, using his claws a quill, a successful verbal process of exorcism. That's so fascinating. And it's interesting because I was reading about this story among other stories mm-hmm. of that period. And there was definitely this, it was almost like political propaganda where the different, because the Huguenots or the Protestants, uh, same thing, mm-hmm. Huguenots, Protestants versus the Catholics. And they would have these possessions, which some of which may or may not have been real. You know, this one sounds pretty legit. Well, it sounds like there was something definitely wrong with this woman. Yeah, there's some suppositions by historians that they were just using these stories or stories like this one to uh, promote the virtues of their particular sect of Christianity where the Protestants... Don't tell me it was propaganda, Maxie. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, so who's better at exorcisms, Protestants or Catholics? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, according to the lore, everyone knows Catholics are better, right? Like it goes all the way to the top, like the Vatican has to approve it. You know, whatever your beliefs about the various virtues of different forms of Christianity, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty widely understood that Catholics are better at the exorcism part, right? You know, they have all the rituals and everything. Or Jesuits, yeah, they definitely seem to be the ones that are yeah. gonna like roll up their sleeves and try to get down, right? Exactly, like when when the stuff goes down, who are you gonna call? Might be <laughs> Ghostbusters, might be your Jesuit priest, but it probably isn't, you know, your Baptist pastor or whatever. Dude, there's some show on Netflix and uh, it was called the devil and like father something. And it was about about this exorcist 
in Rome and he like lived on the outskirts of Rome and he was like the exorcist trainer there. Like he was the guy. And uh, wait, is this so this is a documentary or this is a fictional movie? So it's uh, it's supposed to be kind of a doc type thing, you know, it's like where they have people that have like spoken to this guy. And I think he's recently passed away, but it was a book that I read as well. And it was like a young priest from the States that, you know, he was going to be the exorcist in his part, I think, you know, of wherever he lived. Right. So he was chosen for training. So he went to Rome and he got to meet this guy and it was this old you know, older gent and he lived outside the city and uh, he was like, yeah, so you're going to come with me. So this younger priest from the States goes with him outskirts of Rome and he's like, so we're there and it's this, you know, small house and there's this old, old woman in there. And, you know, he's like, so this is going to be the person that we're trying to help. And he's like, you know, okay, cool. So we're sitting there, he says, and then basically stuff just ramps up really quick. Like this old frail woman starts speaking a different voice and she picks up a chair wow like with one hand and throws it across the room (laughs) and this young priest is like flipping out and this older you know father this older priest is just super chill and he goes in there and he's like man it was some of the most incredible stuff i've seen like involving a lot of the quote typical things that are supposed to happen around possession like Levitation, you know, the speaking and different voices, body contortion, and that's wow, some scary stuff, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, so yeah, I think we can agree that the Catholic Church is, like I said, who you're going to call, right? Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, you know, if you can imagine being in a situation like that, and presumably being a young priest of the Catholic faith, you know, this guy is a believer, and. It's one thing to believe, you know, I've, I've read the Bible, I believe, you know, there's God and there's angels and devils and, mm-hmm. Good and but evil. then you're confronted by these very real things just in front of your face, very blatant evidence of supernatural activity. I think it just strikes you different. You know, it's like we were talking about yeah. a few weeks ago about Bigfoot, for example, you know, or mm-hmm. the Mogollon Rim Beast, I think maybe it was, where, Monster, you know, yeah. you can believe whatever you want, but when it's in front of your face, it just it hits you like a, you know, a hits you like wheeler the, or something. You know, like the proverbial ton of bricks right yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, and that's a big question, gang, out there in the hinterlands. Like, what do you do? What does a sane person do when they're, when they've encountered the inexplicable? I mean, you know, someone gaining crazy strength or, you know, floating, like, yo, that's usually not right. our, on our list of powers, unless we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like, you can explain that away in D&D. Yeah. These are not instances that you're going to confuse. <laughs> in the real world, you know, that's a little bit harder right there. So what do you do? And that's a question, you know, like, does a sane person just forget about it and move on? Or do you write books, you know? I don't know that that would be a sane thing to do, but it's an understandable thing to do. Yeah, yeah. True, true, true. So, uh, party people, as you know, I live in Prescott now, which is uh, also known as, and we're shifting gears totally, gang, uh, it's known as Arizona's Christmas Town. So I'm happy to say my boy Maxie is going to come up and visit me during that time, which we're going to yeah. try to head over the hill to Jerome, to Haunted Jerome, and do Ooh, some fun yeah. stuff there, which we will get out to you, man. So I'm looking forward to your visit, man. You looking forward to coming up? Absolutely. You know, hopefully 
It'll probably be snowy. You ain't got it's, that it's, in Austin. It's that thing. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm good with snow, especially if I don't, if as long as it doesn't last for weeks and have no electricity. I'm, exactly. I'm like that was just like Texas, man. You either have none or you got to go overboard. Like what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, and I'm good for uh, Christmas stuff as well. I actually love Christmas a lot. Oh, what yeah. do you think is what, what do you think is scarier? So we have our annual tradition of telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve, which mm-hmm. actually is an old tradition that we're trying to bring back. We're trying um, to bring it back. What do you think is? I know this sounds almost facetious on its face, but let's think about it for a minute. What do you think is scarier, Christmas or Halloween? When this happens, automatically I think of the Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Tim oh, yeah, that was yeah. a big thing. Try to merge the two. When you delve into Christmas lore, right, it's a lot darker than you would think. You know, we're not talking about just Krampus. There's a lot of European legends and whatnot where, like, if the kid is bad, like, that kid is killed. Like, you know, or if a person is bad, their stomach is torn open and filled with garbage, and then they're dead. You know, that's their punishment for being bad. (laughs) So Christmas ain't all, like, red and green clothes and gifts and getting drunk with eggnog. You know what I'm saying? And Santa. Absolutely. Well, and there's the whole thing. It's pretty dark. You know, you're at the absolute darkest time of the year. The sun Mm -hmm. in some places is out. Not at all. You know, if you go far enough north. It's gone. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of ice monsters we had an episode about. The veil between worlds is at its absolute thinnest where... Spirits can go back and forth. That, hey gang, if you want to know some prophecies, Max is right. If you want to know some prophecies and whatnot, like do it yeah. during Christmas. There's a lot of rites and stuff where people would, would perform during that time in hopes that they would get answers. So Max is right. Like the, the veil, you know, even though it's supposedly very thin on Halloween or All Hallows Days or Samhain, whatever you want to call it, is apparently just as active and yeah. thin during Christmas at the end of the year. It's darkest, it's coldest, the spirits are out, the wild hunt, all that kind of stuff. So it's more than just Rudolph and Santa gang. It's, uh, you know, the origins are pretty dark. And supposedly that's the time where, was it midnight of the new year? Is that correct? Or is it on Christmas when if you go out to the cemetery and you see the parade of fetches go by and if you see your, you know, whoever you see, walking by they're gonna die that coming year yeah you could even see yourself hopefully not but yeah like you can see your spirit yeah that apparently is uh from and i think we did a story on that it's midnight during christmas and there's a certain right you go do the certain things in your small town and a uh, parade of basically the souls of people that were not going to survive the upcoming year pretty terrifying would walk around the church and you know this one foolish guy saw himself so that's wanting to know too much man so yeah there's definitely yeah some... i think it's definitely some things are better not to know absolutely but... sometimes ignorance is bliss all right maxi we're getting close to the end man let's hear one more your wish is my command it's because i'm possessed by a gin show is sad In the 16th century, a man named Benno lived in Nordstrand. He was rich in money, cattle, and land, but he had obtained his wealth in dishonorable ways. He lent poor farmers a few tollers, 
and in exchange they had to pledge their fields as security in case they did not repay him in time. And when they did not manage to do so at the agreed-upon time, the rich man brazenly took all of their possessions. He cheated miners and orphans, twisted wills. But in particular, he robbed churches and schools of their lands and incomes. Yet he was widely respected due to his wealth and was powerful and feared due to his many connections. None of the people he cheated ever dared to defy him. Eventually, this man died suddenly and was interred with much splendor in a walled crypt within the church. The very next night, the sacristan and the neighbors suddenly heard a great noise within the church and all emerged from their beds and houses. The next morning, the pastor and his colleagues, the sacristans and others working in the name of Christ opened the church and with dread they beheld that the grave of this rich man had been opened and was empty. Soon afterwards, the devil appeared in the shape of the man. He looked at the people with a wild gaze and spoke. I live in this corpse. It is my property. Divine justice orders me to appear in the shape of this damned man for three hours at night and three hours during the day. Thus be gone from here or you will suffer for it. The pastor and his associates replied to him that he should leave the corpse and refrain from disturbing the temple of God. But the devil started to laugh loudly and said, You can do nothing to me. For several weeks, the corpse was thus not consumed by worms, but remained preserved and lively. Indeed, Satan wore it even in the bright midday sun to the terror of the entire region. Thus the preachers were summoned, prayers were ordered in all churches of the island, and at 11 o'clock they bravely confronted the devil, who was already roaming around at this time. However, he ignored the devout admonishments and prayers. Finally, the youngest of the present pastors started to press the devil strongly and with hard words. And then the latter acknowledged himself to be overcome. And he shouted out, Listen, listen, I will have to go, and you will accomplish this. And the pastor successfully drove the evil spirit down into hell by throwing Bibles at the infernal body. But the corpse was buried by the executioner of Husum in the muds beyond the fields of the island. And a long, vividly colored pole was thrust through the center of the body to hold it there. Sometime after, a poor farmer arrived. Perhaps he lacked firewood, as the entire land was without forests. Or perhaps he was just ignorant of the entire incident. For whatever reason, he started to pull out the pole with his strong arms. And then the devil immediately shouted, Ah, ah, a little more! He pushed the pole into the depths again with all his force, which caused the devil to shout, row, whoever is pushing this down! Pole remained standing there for many years. It was eventually only ripped away the following century by a flood. Yo, man. 
devil going crazy up in Germany, Maxie. Did you uh, see any action like that? <laughs> no you doubt. Any, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, no, fortunately not. Although Spandau, the from the town and from the previous story, yeah. German story, is just like basically a suburb of Berlin. Ah. So we were right there. Is that where the band Spandau Ballet comes from, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't Presumably. Or at least that's what it's named after. So, uh, yeah, you didn't see any wild action or just random poles sticking out of the ground that you're not supposed to pull up. It's funny. Not. That, well, I, I pulled one up and everybody freaked out. I don't know exactly. why. Exactly. <laughs> now there's a bunch of hauntings and possessions there. Good job. Sorry. You uh, opened Pandora's box right there. I expected <laughs> yeah. uh, you to bring, honestly, more haunting tales of terror back from your world travels, like run-ins with Krampus-like devils, some, perhaps some beer garden action, haunted schnitzel houses, you know, the usual. <laughs> yeah. Haunted pretzels. <laughs> but yeah, fortunately not. The Germans we encountered were wonderful, welcoming people. And as you would unpossessed, expect. as far as I could tell. As you would expect. All right, gang. Well, I think that's all we have right now. So we are out. And as always, please share the pod with whomever you think will like what we're doing here. We asked earlier and we will shamelessly ask again because it means a lot to us. And also, this is super important. If you have a story, you're sitting on it, please send it to us. The listeners' tales are shaping up to be pretty awesome, but we want more. Yes. If you don't, you'll definitely be haunted. Or most likely be haunted, gang. Yeah. Also, find us on all the socials. Get out there and interact with your boys on all of them. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, IG, the works. Holler at us, because we'd love to interact. And don't forget, if you feel like supporting the pod, head on over to Patreon or buymeacoffee.com. It's very much appreciated. Yeah, just search Nightmares and Daydreams on both of those platforms, gang. And finally, find us at our own damn website at nightmarespodcast.net. Scroll down, see the wolves, and holler at your boys. And also, do not forget, we have a tea Public store, some fun t-shirts, and other Nightmares and Daydreams merch. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as always, be good to each other and... Sweet dreams. Thank you.